his special guest, Jennifer Ward. Kenny Vance. Impressionist, Michael O'Donoghue. And the not ready for primetime players. Dan Aykroyd. John Belushi. Jane Griffin. Garrett Morris. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and this one is a sort of an impromptu, uh, somber podcast. I wasn't planning on doing this, but while I'm recording this, Buck Henry has just passed away, and I think Buck Henry was a uh, undervalued uh, comedic genius. He wrote uh, The Graduate. He helped co-create Get Smart. Uh, I loved his sense of humor. And he passed away, so I'm doing this uh, impromptu Dan Aykroyd podcast featuring him on an episode of Saturday Night Live that first aired on May 21st, 1977. It was actually the last episode of the second season. The show opens with Don Pardo announcing, and now the President of the United States, and Dan Aykroyd starts to show off as Jimmy Carter. And he's on an exercise bike, and he's pedaling the bike, And he is telling everybody that he is pedaling this bike, and this bike is generating all the energy for this broadcast. This was 1977. There was a huge energy crisis in the United States at that time. There was a gas shortage. I was, what, eight at this time? I I vaguely remember just having these long lines for gas in some places. We were running out of energy. That's what they were telling us at this time. We were running out of energy. The gag on this one is Dan Aykroyd, as Jimmy Carter, is pedaling this bike to generate the energy for this broadcast. And during the broadcast, Rosalind Carter, played by Lorraine Newman, gets on the bike. And when Dan Aykroyd gets off the bike and when Lorraine, Lorraine Newman gets on the bike, there's a little bit of, you see the picture start to fade out a little bit. That was a nice touch, showing you that they are actually pedaling to keep this broadcast on. Usually when you use a special effect in a live sketch, it doesn't work that well. This one actually worked very, very well. They're talking, and they're talking, and they're talking, and now they say it's time for Mother, for Lillian Carter, President Carter's mother, played by Gilda Radner, to get on the bike. And I've always mentioned before how uh, great physical comics uh, Chevy Chase was on this show and John Belushi was on this show. I'm here to give credit to... Gilda Radner. She was an excellent physical comedian. She's playing this old woman. She gets on the bike. She starts stumbling around on the bike. She pretends that she's not, she can't get in the air. It's one of those things where Lorraine Newman and Dan Aykroyd are talking in the foreground, but what Gilda Radner is doing in the background, that's what's getting all the laughs. Gilda Radner, we miss you. Man, you left us too young. Gilda Radner as Ma Carter falls off the bike the picture goes black for a minute and then it comes back on and she's back on the bike and she just, you know, live from New York, it's Saturday night. And the name of the show still at this time is Saturday Night. And they go through the opening credits and now in the credits, Bill Murray. Bill Murray is now on the show. 
And you can tell that his picture was added later because it does not match up with how all the other pictures, all the other pictures sort of have a yellow tint on theirs. Bill Murray, it looks like they just snapped a picture of him and threw it right into the opening monologue or the opening credits. It stands out like a sore thumb. And we get to the monologue of Buck Henry. Now, that first sketch right there is pretty much the only sketch that Buck Henry is not in. They trust Buck Henry so much on this show that he is in every single sketch after this. That's how good and that's how much they trust Buck Henry. We have the opening monologue. Buck Henry wants to do something different. He wants to do a live sex act right there on live TV. And Lauren Michaels, we actually hear Lauren Michaels. We don't see Lauren Michaels in this episode, but we hear Lauren Michaels giving Buck Henry the A-OK. And they pan through the audience looking for somebody that Buck Henry can have a live sex act with. And we get to a nun, and you think, oh, he's going to pick, the they pe go past the nun. I give him credit for that. They didn't go for the joke. Then there's a dominatrix. They go past her. And then there's this very, very sexy young lady. Buck goes, yep, that's the one I'm going to pick. And then this giant gentleman next to her gets up, runs on the stage, and literally attacks Buck Henry. That's how the monologue ends. I've always liked it when you have a non-comedic, I shouldn't say non-comedic. Buck Henry is very comedic, but he's not a stand-up comedian. And when you have somebody, a non-stand-up comedian, doing a monologue, it can be very, very iffy. Buck Henry did it great. I don't know if he helped write this, but or they, they, they wrote it for him. It was a very nice opening. He wasn't doing jokes. He was doing a bit as the monologue. It kicked the show off right. We go to the next sketch. It is set in a dean's office. And Garrett Morris is sitting at the dean's desk. Gilda Radner comes in as the dean's secretary. And we have a breaking of the fourth wall where Gilda Radner goes, the dean will be with you in a second. He's just finishing up a live sex act. It's a carryover from the monologue. I've always liked stuff like that. I've always liked callbacks or I've, I like something that carries on from one sketch to another. And then when Buck Henry comes in, he goes, I was just finishing up my cottage cheese. Because in the opening monologue, there was a 20-gallon drum of cottage cheese on the stage. Garrett Morris is in this scene. He is wanting demands. He's demanding. I will admit that the accent is doing made him very, very hard to understand. I didn't, I, I rewound it a couple of times and listened, and I couldn't make out a lot of the words that he was saying because of his accent. Well, the thing is, radicals would take over administration buildings of colleges to get what they want. And that's what Garrett Morris has done. He's taking over the administration building. But what Buck Henry explains to him is that this is the old administration building. And the new administration building is across the campus. So if you want to get anything done, you have to go across the campus, take over the new administration building. And he leaves. And then the next person in is John Belushi as the samurai. And it's samurai, big man on campus. Garrett Morris was just the tease. You thought that the sketch was going to be about Garrett Morris, but it wasn't. It's about John Belushi and the samurai because because this is the third time Buck Henry has hosted the show and he's had scenes with uh, John Belushi as the samurai in both of the other uh, both of their episodes that worked well. They work well together. I can't help but think I'm repeating myself again, and I'm going to say it again. Garrett Morris had nothing to do on Saturday Night Live. He was a talented man, but they really didn't have anything 
do for him. And once again, I think this was just tacked on to the sketch just to give Garrett Morris some screen time in this episode. John Belushi comes in. Buck Henry, as the dean, has to expel John Belushi because he is not, he's not making the grade. And let's go off on one of these. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. That's right. This scene right here reminds me of the scene in Animal House where Dean Werner is talking to the boys where he's about to expel them. It's very, very similar in a lot in a lot of places. And I can't help but think that when they wrote Animal House, that they had this if this sketch just popped into their head and they helped write that scene based on this sketch. Buck Henry says he's got to expel John Belushi. John Belushi, he's going to... Buck Henry, playing off of John Belushi's Japanese gibberish, it's just, it's a great back and forth. It's, I, I can't tell you how perfect the timing is. To get this timing perfect in, in a live show, it's very, very hard, and they get it. Once again, John Belushi, when he finds out he's going to get expelled, he's going to commit suicide, Harry Carey. Buck Henry stops him. <clears throat> it turns out that they are uh, fraternity brothers, so he's going to let him graduate. And they finish the scene with their fraternity brothers theme song. Yeah, here it is. Wait your feeling down and you're looking for another. Think of high, always high. The next thing on the show is Buck Henry introducing Jennifer Warrens. She th- she sings a song, Right Time of the Night. There was only two sketches in the monologue, and I this was really, really early in the show. I, I don't ever recall the musical guest being this early in the show, but there's kind of a reason that we'll get to later. And she sing- I'm not I I'm not a fan of Jennifer Warren's. It was I know the song. It was a it was a pretty song. She did a good job. Not a lot of glitz, not a lot of glamour. It was just her up there singing, and it was nice. Then we cut to the next sketch, and it's Bill Murray. And he turns on the water, he's in a shower, and you know how most people have soap on a rope? Well, he has a mic on a rope. <laughs> a, a soap mic on a rope, and he starts doing this has to be an early version of his lounge singer. Hey everybody. And so he's pretending that there's a crowd in front of him in the shower. Hey everybody, good to see you here tonight. And while this scene is going, he has to do this scene with water being, you know, just you know, being plumbled in his face the entire scene. He pulls it off. He does it. Uh, and and now and during the scene, he's like, and now I guess it's his wife. And he brings and his wife played by Gilda Radner. And so they're in there taking a shower together on national television. It's cut to where, you know, uh, they obviously have stuff on. But we, from what we see, you, 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 you're supposed to assume that they're naked. And Bill Murray does the cheesy, well, where are you from? And do you still love me? How can you still love me? Because I got a surprise for you. And they bring in the man that Gilda Radner is having an affair with, and it's Buck Henry. He's in a suit. And Gilda Radner acts surprised, and Bill Murray's still playing the cheesy, well, where did you guys meet? And all that. And, whoa. It's it's a very surreal, weird, it's like, it's an out of, it's a left field sketch. 
where would you come up with this? There's a guy, there's a lounge singer in his shower singing to his wife while his wife's lover is in the shower with him. Those are the kind of sketches that I like. And those are the kind of, those silly sketches. It's two or three minutes long. It doesn't, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's funny. They get in, they tell the jokes, they don't oversaturate it. And it's it. And that's pretty much all we see of Bill Murray in this episode. A little, little part later, but this is all we see of Bill Murray. At this point, he was still trying to establish himself as a character on Saturday Night Live. He hadn't hit the really big, big time on Saturday Night Live yet. That comes next year in uh, the third season, 78, 79. That's when he really makes his mark. Our next sketch is the Coneheads. Oh, I love Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin as the Coneheads. Buck Henry starts off. He comes in. He's holding this big metallic thing. He's talking to Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd. I've stated before that Dan Aykroyd has the great fast talk down. I've never mentioned that Jane Curtin can match him in the fast talking realm. I mean, here she is right here. Listen to her. Just as good as Dan. Arizona. Arizona. And Arizona in the Southwest features good oxygen quality, a high concentration of human retirement colonies, desert reptiles, and domestic handgun ownership. Five days ago, this object entered the Earth's atmosphere and fell from the sky into the parking lot of a Taco Bell in downtown Tucson. Taco? Taco. A folded starch disc encasing vegetable substances and shredded flesh of hooved mammals. Turns out that this big metallic piece is a postcard from Remulac, and the almighty leader has told them to come back to Remulac. And now the sketch ends and we cut the film, and it's film of Lorraine Newman, Jane Curtin... And Dan Aykroyd as the Coneheads driving through New York to the Chrysler building. And you can tell during this that they, I don't think they got permits to do this because people are looking around whenever they stop at stoplights or anything like that or they stop at a gas station. By the way, they stop at a gas station, you can totally see the crew in the reflection of the gas pump. But people are looking around, the people are looking weird, they don't know what's going on. So I don't think they got permits to do this. They get to the Chrysler building, the Chrysler building takes off, and now they are in Remulac. They're back at Remulac, where John Belushi is the almighty leader, and Garrett Morris is his assist. Garrett Morris has nothing to do in this sketch but stand next to John Belushi. Beating a dead horse, I'm sorry, but man, Garrett Morris had nothing to do on those first couple, on, on, on Saturday Night Live and all the episodes that I've watched. He's had barely anything to do. They get back, John Belushi says that Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin's daughter is his mate and that they are to get married. And Lorraine Newman, as as the teenager, has these 70 values of, well, we don't need to get married, we can just have sex. That's what she says to the leader. And it, and it turns out that um, Lorraine Newman, the character, the Conehead daughter, has had uh, sex uh, with, with, uh, with an earthling and she is now considered tainted. And Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi getting in a big fight over this. And they start to fight, and then they dive out the window. They did their own stunts. I was impressed by that. But they dive out a window, and the sketch ends with uh, Lorraine Newman, Garrett Morris, and Jane Curtin just all drinking a six-pack of beer. I always love seeing the Coneheads. Those are one of the great characters. The, the movie portion, the film portion of the sketch could have been shortened a little bit, but always great to see the Coneheads. We go to the weekend update with Jane Curtin. Once again, it's it's a standard weekend update with 
things that are happening at the time. They talk about Patty Hearst. They talk about the Frost-Nixon interview. They talk about uh, Barishnikov and Jackie O. The weekend update segments on any Saturday Night Live really does not hold up well just because they're talking about topical things which are now really, really not topical. If it's a big thing that we remember, it's one thing, but these are basically little things that were just happening at the time, short, insignificant news stories that nobody remembers and basically nobody cares about now in 2020. Jane Curtin does cut to Emily Latella, played by Gilda Radner, one of her great characters. And she is interviewing Bella Abzug. Bella Abzug. And Bella, I didn't know who this was. I had to look it up. She was a senator in New York in New York at the time, and she was a big social activist. She was a she was a feminist, she was a social activist. She wanted she was out there fighting for women and women's rights. Emily Latella messes up. So you, I hear you're going to throw your cat in the ring. And it's no, it's not hat. It's cat. Bada, bada, bada. But instead of Emily Latella giving her punchline, never mind. It's Bella that gives the punchline. Never mind. I don't know who Bella Abzug was. But as a non-actor and as a politician, she was very, very natural and very, very smooth on this episode. In that scene right there. As a non-actor, she did a really, really good job. I've, she's done better acting in that sketch than I have than I've seen actual actors and actresses uh, have done in scenes. Bravo, Bella. We cut back, and Buck Henry even makes it onto the weekend update, and he presents Jane Curtin with award for the best newscaster of 1976-1977, and the reason he tells her is basically he wants to sleep with her. And that's why he's giving her the award. And I found this weird, I found this odd placing as you just followed Bella Abzug, who was a big feminist and a big proponent of women's rights. And then you go into this bit where Jane Curtin is just getting a award so she will have sex with Buck Henry. I mean, I, I know it's absurd. I know, I, I mean, I know where the joke was. I know where they were coming from, coming with the joke. It just seemed odd placement. Here's this woman in fighting for women's rights, and now here is a joke about a woman being stripped of all of her rights. Weird placement. And that's it. And that's the end of Weekend Update. The next sketch is a, it's an all-female sketch. And I will say this. This is a heavily dominated female episode. We have uh, we see a lot of uh, Lorraine, Gilda, and and Jane in this episode, and it's great and it's refreshing because in past episodes, it, it, these are mostly male dominated. We don't, uh, you know, like Bill Murray was only in that one sketch, and I, it was nice. It all this. It was nice to see the women uh, getting their dues on on this episode, and it is a a female engagement party. And Gilda Radner is getting married, and her and Lorraine Newman and Jane Curtin all nail the Upper East Side uh, Jewish princess accents perfectly. The sketch is funny, not because of the sketch. The sketch is funny because of the characters that Lorraine, Jane, and Gilda are doing. It's not a fantastically written sketch, but Jane and Jane, Lorraine, and uh, Gilda 
all give it their 100%. They all do fantastic characters. They all do fantastic accents. So that's what makes this sketch fun, and that's what makes this sketch... Oh, 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 Buck Henry is not in this sketch. I thought... I, 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 I misspoke earlier when I said he was in pretty much every sketch except for the first one. He is not in this sketch. And I love the fact that no man was brought into the sketch. It's a female sketch from start to finish. No token man in there just to, just to bring it up. It was, a, it was a great sketch, great characters, great performances. Love you, ladies. And the character that Gilda Radner plays is strikingly, strikingly similar to the character that Mike Myers played in Coffee Talk. I'm Coffee Talk. Let's talk. Let's have coffee. Not only does Mike Myers sound like Gilda Radner in this scene, he looks like Gilda Radner with the big, the, the big black brunette wig and the and the square glasses he said he based it off his mother-in-law but i don't after seeing this man i don't know then we go to the next sketch and once again it's all three ladies in a sketch with now buck henry is in the sketch and it's called how your children grow and buck henry plays a behavioral scientist gilda radner punctuates his sentences and lorraine newman just rings a bell um, it's hard to explain here. Just listen. This is, this is how it goes. <laughs> Your father sounds like a wise man. Is he still alive? No, Jane. Dot, dot, dot. He had a tumor. Dash. The doctor has removed half his colon. Semicolon. Before he lapsed. <laughs> before he lapsed into a coma. Comma. And then died. Period. <laughs> and every time Lorraine Newman rings a bell, Gilda Radner gives Jane Curtin a cookie. And this goes on throughout the entire sketch. The, the, the timing between Gilda Radner and uh, Buck Henry with the exclamation point and the question mark, fantastic. Gilda Radner delivers it deadpan. They all deliver it deadpan, which makes it even more funnier. They don't think this is ridiculous. And even Lorraine Newman ringing a bell. The way she does it, podcast, you can't see it. The way she does it, it that's even funny. It's... It, it's a great offbeat sketch. The ending is Buck Henry says he's trying to disprove the Pavlovian response. And the last time the uh, Ray Newman rings a bell, Gilda Radner does not give Jane Curtin a cookie and Jane Curtin starts salivating. It's great. I love it. Two great all-female sketches except for Buck Henry, but two great female-dominated sketches back-to-back. -back. Now we cut to a short film by Bill Wayman. And it's just a dog sleeping with an alarm clock. And it goes on for about 45 seconds. And that's it. And then uh, Buck Henry introduces musical guest Kenny Vance. I've never seen this before in an episode where they have two separate musical guests not performing together. And Kenny Vance performs a song. And for the life of me, I tried to look up what song he performed on the internet. I could not find it. If you're listening to this and you know what song that Kenny Vance performed on Saturday Night Live and this episode, please let me know. But while we're talking about Kenny Vance, let's go off on one of these. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Kenny Vance actually became the musical director of Saturday Night Live for season six. And if you know anything, season six was the first season without the original cast and without Lord Michaels. That started that two or three just debacled years 
where Saturday Night Live was just awful uh, before Lauren Michaels came back. Now we go to Charles Lindbergh. They're doing a they're doing a sketch about Charles Lindbergh. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is doing the voiceover of Charles Lindbergh, and Buck Henry is playing Charles Lindbergh in this in this sketch. They're exaggerating how you know he was alone for 33 hours in a plane. So the pictures that you know Charles Lindbergh actually goes a little crazy. They actually do a pee and a masturbation joke in this sketch. That's how, you know, Charles Lindbergh passed the time. You know, he, he was peeing in a thermos, and to pass the time, he had some dirty magazines. Uh, that's it. Here, listen, take a listen. Then turbulence, yes, unexpected turbulence, suddenly jerked the plane off. Course. Course. Now, while he is flying, he gets too close to the ocean, and guess who shows up? The land shark. And I couldn't tell if it was Chevy Chase doing the land shark. I couldn't tell. I, was he, because he was not credited as being there. And it sounded like him. It really, really sounded like him. And was it him? We'll get to that later. The, the land shark offers uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh some amphetamines, but he doesn't need them because he made the he made the entire 33-hour flight. He was now in Paris. He was now in France, and uh, the land shark was actually running after the plane the entire time because he was on land. We come to the third song. We have two separate musical guests, and now we have the Saturday Night Live band performing an original piece by Howard Show called departure lounge and the first person we see is paul schaefer on the piano and it's, and it's a musical it's not a it's instrumental and it, and it's it's a catchy lounge and there's a guy playing the tuba and i will say this i have never seen anybody look so cool playing the tuba when you think of tuba you not think of cool but when you see this guy playing the tuba in this man he has captured cool he has captured tuba cool Buck Henry introduces Michael O'Donohue as an impressionist. And Michael O'Donohue has had a running gag through the first two seasons of what it would be like if so-and-so stuck 12-inch sharp needles into their eyes. And this one he's talking about the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. If the Mormon Tabernacle Choir stuck 12-inch sharp nails into their eyes. And he turns around and the, the curtains open, and there's an entire choir. And in this choir is everybody in the cast. So you see John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, plus others. But the whole cast is in there. As you can tell, they just all pretend that their eyes are being gouged out. Michael O'Donohue, as he's been credited, is the, the man who made comedy dangerous. There's a, there's a biography out uh, called that. I would say read that, because he was a very, very complicated man. He made guest appearances through the first couple of seasons of Saturday Night Live, as well as being a writer. And this was a running gag of his, of just an impressionist shoving spikes into people's eyes. And it was a nice touch that they had. So this seeing this entire choir just writhe in pain, because they were pretending they have needles stuck in their eyes. 
Uh, and just have Buck Henry off at the side applauding. Yeah, that was great. I enjoyed that. And that was the last sketch of the episode. And we say our goodnights. And while we're saying the goodnights, the land shark comes on. And it is Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase came back for the last show of the second season. That was him playing the land shark in this episode. So this is a pretty epic episode where you get classic characters. You get the Coneheads. You get Emily Latella. You get Bill Murray in an early version of The Lounge Singer. You get Chevy Chase as the Land Shark. All of these classic characters in one episode. That's it. And they obviously know they're coming back for a third season because at the end of it, Don Pardo says, we will see you back here on September 24th. Have a great summer. And that's it. And that was my special tribute to Buck Henry. An underestimated comic genius. He always killed it when he was on Saturday Night Live. He was one of the few guests that were in every single sketch on the show. He introduced the musical guests, so he had a ton of screen time. Rest in peace, Buck Henry. He gave us a lot of great laughs that are going to live on forever. You can support me at my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White. You can visit my website, scottyblanco.com. It'll show you of all my upcoming dates for 2020, plus all the other things I'm working on at this time. We see you next time on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Vio con Dios, Buck Henry. Good night. Have a good summer. Thanks to my guest, Sharp.